why did Pope Francis restrict the traditional Latin Mass? What's the motive? And is it a punishment? Is this intended to attack or weaken a group of people or someone? Today I'm going to answer that question the best I can. And I'm going to do it by giving you a timeline. We're going to go back in time. We're going to get into the magic time machine. We're going to go back to 1965. I'm going to take you year by year, all the way up through the liturgical changes, theological episodes that happened, up into 2007, when Bennett XVI gave Summorum Pontificum. We'll talk a little bit about traditionalism, recognize and resist, talk about Lefebvre, SSPX, along that way. And we're going to wander our way all the way up unto this week in 2021. I'm going to give you kind of a, a bird's eye view of the three main liturgical and theological movements in the church. Then we're going to do that timeline and then make some conclusions at the end. Some people are saying, oh, this is all happening because of bloggers and YouTubers. I think that's just ridiculous. I don't think uh, Pope Francis or anyone at Rome is making decisions based on blogs or YouTubes. Is it part of a response? Is it part of movement? Yes, but it's not to uh, to come after bloggers and YouTubers. So we're going to begin with our prayer in Latin. We'll do the Our Father. Then I'll go over the three main groups, and then we'll take our magic time machine. We'll go back in time to 1965, and we'll walk our way up to 2021. And I think once we do that, things are going to start making a lot more sense. All right, oremos the Our Father. Nomini Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in Celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et emite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, se libera nos amalo. Amen. Nomini Patris, Fidii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, when I first became a Catholic, I entered the church, and you heard people talk about conservative and liberal Catholics. Now, from the very beginning, I know everyone's going to say, I don't want labels, I'm just a Catholic. And you're actually correct. You're actually correct. In fact, we could go even one step further and say, I'm a Christian. The word Catholic does not appear in the New Testament. It first appears around the year 105 to 108 in Ignatius of Antioch. As a matter of fact, the word Catholic, meaning according to the whole, kataholos, that word is a qualifier for the Christians who are faithful to the apostles and their tradition and the Gnostics. So in a way, even Catholic is a qualifier. And over time, there have been epics in which we've had to add qualifiers in front of Catholic. For example, if you live in the 700s, the church was being divided by iconoclasts and iconoduels. Iconoduels said there should be images in churches. We should reverence them. We should have candles and lamps before them. The iconoclast says, no, destroy them. Of course, they lost. The latter lost the iconoclast. And all Catholics to this day are iconoduels. But during that time period, people had to use this term to differentiate. We live in a time right now where the main fight and the main discussion in the church is, do we as Catholics need to modernize and update Catholicism 
to fit this new world with technology and airplanes and antibiotics and uh, streaming videos? Do we need to update the faith or do we leave it as we received it in tradition? Therefore, in our time, the main qualifiers being used, and by the way, this was brought in by Pius X, not by me or anyone else. There are the traditionalists who want to just take the tradition from our grandparents and hang, hand it on to our grandchildren. Traditionalist. We don't need to update. We can clarify, but we don't need to update or modernize. And then there's a group that says, you know, so much has changed in history, in science, in health, all these things. We actually do need to modernize Catholicism. Now, they'll claim that they're not changing it. They're just changing the mode. But the traditionalists argue, no, 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 you're actually changing the faith. So when you hear someone like James Martin talk about how far the church has come in the last 50 years, He's saying, we've modernized it successfully. You also hear Pope Francis saying, well, I know that all the previous popes before me were in favor of a just death penalty, but now it's inadmissible because we need to modernize. We need to update. It actually gets a little bit more complicated. I think there's actually three groups in the church right now. And they're fighting for the shape of what Catholicism will look like. Let's see if I can put it on the screen here. Perfect. Okay. The three groups fighting for the identity and shape of Catholicism. And, and again, this is all going to lead into why did Pope Francis restrict the TLM? When you start to see these connections. The first are the modernists, the progressives, the Jane Martin. Hey, we aren't... Uh, ancient, illiterate people in the 300s anymore. Catholicism can't be that anymore. We need to make our, our liturgy, our Vatican, our banking, our everything about science, ecology, all of the things that are happening in the world right now, we need to have Catholicism adapt to that if we're going to survive. That's one version that's fighting for the shape of Catholicism in the next 50 years. Remember, 1965 is the end of Vatican II. We're going to get into the timeline. And think of this as a 100-year epic from 1965 to 2065. We're actually right now in 2021 closer to 2065 than we are to 1965. So let's think of this as a 100-year tournament. And we are now over halfway done. One group since 1965 has had the support of Rome and of the world's bishops and has pushed for the progressive, modernist, let's update everything position. Your next group, right over here, conservatives. These are, your, these are people like Ratzinger. And they say we need to update, but let's be careful. Maybe we can keep the old stuff um, active along the new stuff and kind of have a free market. So you saw this with Pope Ben XVI in Sumorum Pontificum. He didn't restore the traditional Latin Mass. He just said, hey, it was never abrogated. It's never taken away. And I'm going to put them up as the ordinary form of the Roman Rite in the extraordinary form. And we're going to let them just, we're going to have coexist. The coexist. 
And then you have your third one, which is the traditionalist, which if you went back in time to 1975, this group was tiny, minuscule, had zero influence really in the church. But as we'll see in our timeline, it's been growing from an acorn into an adolescent oak tree. And as a result, and you'll see where I'm going with all this, the first group, the modernist progressives, are extremely fearful because it's been over 50 years. It's actually been, what, 56 years since Vatican II. And their project, which has the backing of an ecumenical council, several popes that they've canonized, and the liturgy. Think about all those wins. It's just like touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. And yet 56 years later, it has not fully stuck. It's one, it is the most debated element in intramural Catholic discussions. Whether you're in a seminary, diocese, it is everywhere. And 2020, 2020 blew that even more, as we'll see in the timeline. So those are your three groups. Let's now take a look at the timeline. And I think then we'll start to know who is Francis punishing? Is he punishing faithful Catholics? conservative Catholics, traditional Catholics? Is it all Catholics? And then maybe we can think, is Francis, think of him as a man at his age, is he punishing the past? That's interesting. Is he punishing the future? Is he coerced or is he happy about his new decision? Is he finally checking off a box? All right, with all those questions hanging there, I'm going to put the timeline on the screen. I'll put the first half up now. Okay. I'm going to squish this a little bit and set it to my right hand. And we'll, we'll run through here. Okay. 1965 is when Vatican II ended. Now, 1969 is when communion in the hand was officially allowed. Pope Paul VI did this, and initially he only did it for four countries. He did it for Holland, Belgium, France, and Germany. In other words, in 1969, if you can remember back that long, I didn't exist, but I know many of you did. In 1969, if you were in America or you were in Australia or you were in England, you could not receive communion on the hand. It's not allowed. Now, people were doing it, but there was no permission for this to happen. In 1970, on April 3rd, the Novus Ordo Mass, the new order of the Mass, replaced the traditional Latin Mass. Happened on April 3rd of 1970. There was an immediate response globally, and one archbishop who had been the archbishop who of the Holy Ghost Fathers, who had overseen the evangelization of pretty much the whole center chunk of Africa, Archbishop Lefebvre, had just removed himself, retired from his post, and the Holy Ghost Fathers, who were missionary priests. And he was not happy with this. He was part of the, uh, I guess you could say, conservative pushback movement during Vatican II, and also the intervention against the Novus Ordo Mass. Seminarians came to Lefebvre in 1970 and said, hey, we want to be formed and ordained to say the Old Mass. 
1962 mass, not the 1970 mass? Lefebvre said yes, and he founded a fraternity, a priestly fraternity, and he named it after the great Pope, St. Pius X. Hence, it's called FSSPX, or in America, we see more often SSPX. The F is for fraternity. It's usually left off. Not to be confused with the FSSP, the priestly fraternity of St. Peter, which we'll get to in a little bit. So that was founded in 1970 with approval of the local bishop and with approval of Rome. It was a legit approved thing, but Rome was not happy about it. In 1972, Paul VI abolished minor orders. Couldn't be a porter, exorcist, lector, acolyte, and also subdeacon. Gone. In 1973, Pope Paul VI instituted lay people being Eucharistic ministers. That happened in 1973, eight years after Vatican II. In 1976, Paul VI suspends Archbishop Lefebvre and removes permission for the SSPX. They are sunk. They are tanked. And an interesting thing is that a consistory in Rome, May 24th, 1976, Pope Paul VI rebuked Archbishop Lefebvre by name. This is the first time this had happened where a pope publicly rebuked another Catholic bishop in 200 years. 200. A pope had not publicly rebuked a bishop for 200 years. And in 1976, Paul VI publicly rebuked Archbishop Lefebvre, who was now leading this movement of seminarians and priests who were saying the Mass of 1962 and not the new Mass of 1970. And he was told at this time, all the way into the 80s, just say one Novus Ordo to prove your loyalty. And he would not do it. Lefebvre said, I will not, I will say the Mass that I got when I was ordained. It wasn't wrong then, it's not wrong now. And this begins this traditional movement. So in 1976 is when the traditionalists, Lefebvre and the SSPX, become, in a way, canonical outlaws. It begins in 76. Now in 1977, the United States bishops receive permission for communion in the hand. So in 1975, if you can remember back that long, in America, there was not communion in the hand until it was allowed in 1977. Now in 1986, 78 is when John Paul II, is that right? John, John Paul II becomes Pope. In 86, well, first of all, in 83, John Paul II changed the code of canon law. Forgot to add that. Then in 1986, there was the Assisi meeting for peace. And this is the meeting where you, you've you seen the pictures, and it's in my book, Infiltration, if you want to read it there. The pictures are there, I believe, too, and the footnotes. When the Dalai Lama came into the Catholic Church in Assisi and put an idol of Buddha on the tabernacle on the altar. And many years later, that whole chapel caved in as a judgment from God. Not making that up. It's real. Look it up. Look into it. So in 1986... Archbishop Lefebvre and many people in the world were concerned that John Paul II had allowed idolatry in the church. And he had been Pope for six years now, and he had not steered the church. I mean, he had done some good things against communism, but when it came to the liturgy and the theology, 
he wasn't moving it back. You know, so I think traditionalists and Lefebvre were thinking, Lefebvreites were thinking, well, Paul VI is the Pope now in the 70s, but we'll get the next Pope will start to help. And as you get to 1986, you realize they realize John Paul II is not going to recognize us, bring back the traditional Latin Mass, or even stop idolatry in a Catholic church. So in 1988, as Archbishop Lefebvre became old, he said, I need to ordain or consecrate, rather, a bishop to replace me because I'm going to die. And he entered into negotiations with Cardinal Ratzinger in Rome, who was speaking on behalf of John Paul II. And they agreed that they would allow Lefebvre, who was technically suspended, which is odd. If he was suspended, if he was suspended, why would they allow him? If they would allow him to consecrate a bishop in the summer of 1988. And they went back and forth, and I don't want to go through all of it. If you want to read quotes from Ratzinger and, and the conditions and why it was suggested and then why it failed, again, it's all in my book, Infiltration. Basically what happened, negotiations fell down. Lefebvre didn't like the conditions that were being placed upon him in the SSPX by Cardinal Ratzinger. It melted down and he just said, well, I'm just going to consecrate four of them. And so he consecrated four bishops in 1988. This infuriated Rome. John Paul II responded with a document, Ecclesia Dei, and said this was a schismatic act. And the Lefebvre and the four bishops are late sententiae automatically excommunicated from the Catholic Church. There was a group of SSPX that didn't like this. So they met with Ratzinger and said, this is under the leadership of Father Bizig and others, hey, we want to continue what we're doing, but we don't want to be excommunicated. We want to be faithful to John Paul II. What can we do? They created the priestly fraternity of St. Peter which had regular canonical status inside the church. They continued doing what the SSPX had been doing since 1970, but now they had papal recognition. In other words, what the Fraternity of St. Peter did is they took the deal of Ratzinger and John Paul II, but their loss, their compromise is that they didn't get a bishop. So they took the deal, but no bishop. And to this day, the Fraternity of St. Peter, FSSP, has no bishop. And in my opinion, it's a big problem. There's some people in the fraternity say, I think it's great. We don't need bishops. I think it's a problem. Because as we move in to a time period, like we are now in 2021, where you have bishops and archbishops who are hostile and restricting the traditional Latin Mass, you can move into a period where they're hostile and, and uh, preventative of having ordinations of traditional priests. So 1988 is the crossroads of the traditional movement. 1988 is what people talk about in the narthex and that coffee hour with the donut. After mass, some of them, pretty much almost every, every mass I've been to, after mass, there's always some conversation or a cigar night or bourbon night where this topic comes up in the 1988 crossroads. 1992, John Paul II allowed altar girls. And then in 2007, Pope Benedict XVI gave us Sumorum Pontificum. 
Basically, he bifurcated the Roman Rite into the Novus Ordo and the TLM, and he says it's a coexist situation. He also said, more importantly, that the traditional Latin Mass was never, never abrogated, never abolished. Now, that's interesting because Lefebvre had been saying that since 1970, and all the bishops of the world, 99% of them, said, no, the 1962 Missal, the traditional Latin Mass form, is abolished. If you're doing it, you're disobeying, you're not following the mind of the church. Benedict XVI comes around in 2007, and remember, I personally think that Benedict XVI felt guilt or shame that he could not get the Lefebvre situation to work in 1988. I personally think that 2007 was a mea culpa moment by Ratzinger Benedict XVI saying, hey, I'm going to try to make this right. So, Ben the 16th gave permission to every single priest on planet Earth to say the traditional Latin Mass. Praise God. Not just the SSPX, not just the Fraternity of St. Peter, not just the Institute of the Good Shepherd, not just the Institute of Christ the King. By the way, all these other institutes and fraternities are flourishing. It's great. But to every diocesan priest, every priest in every order can now say the Latin Mass. And then he went one step further in 2009 and he removed the excommunications that were on the SX, SSPX bishops. Now, the SSPX bishops claimed that according to the 1983 Code of Canon Law, the Laetes Intensiae excommunication did not fall upon them and they were not excommunicated. Lefebvre believed that until he died. I'm not going to go into that today either. I actually think if you interpret 1983 Code of Canon Law on this topic, I honestly do, do think that Lefebvre and the four bishops did not receive Eletes Intensiae excommunication. And uh, a priest, his name escapes me now, did a dissertation on this in Rome and also concluded that the excommunication, Eletes Intensiae, did not fall on Lefebvre. We'll let future popes and canonists discuss that in the future. But that was a big thing. In 2007-2009, there was, in a way, a subtle, halfway rehabilitation of Lefebvre's project. And this is why modernist progressives really, really don't like Sumorum Pontificum and what Pope Benedict did in 2007 and 2009. So let's now follow the path into Francis. So in 2013, Benedict XVI resigns. I've spilt a lot of ink on that and done a lot of videos on it. Francis becomes recognized as Pope. In 2016, this is the year of mercy. It actually began, if I remember correctly, in December 2015, the year of mercy. And interestingly enough, Francis continued his the indulgent, um, loving policy of Ben the Sixteenth by showing more and more approval of the SSPX. And in 2015 and into the 16, he gave the SSPX faculties to hear confessions all over the world. So in this sense, the priests of the Fraternity of St. Peter had their faculties, not from a local ordinary bishop, but the priests of the SSPX had their faculties directly from the Pope. 
which is canonically unusual. And then at the end of that year, Pope Francis said, all the priests of the SSPX perpetually from here on all still have global faculties to hear confessions. It's a big deal. And that continues on five years later into 2021. In these liturgy wars, things kind of calmed down until 2018. And 2018 is what we call the summer of shame. It's the expose of McCarrick. It is the 11-page testimony of Archbishop Vigano. It is the moment in which we realize that the number one cleric, bishop, hierarch, cardinal of America, Cardinal McCarrick, friend of presidents, kingmaker in America, cardinal in Rome, was a pedophile and an embezzler and all kinds of bad stuff. That all came out in 2018. It rocked the church and the church is still rocked. Major embarrassment to Francis because McCarrick represented the progressive modernist church. Update everything. But he also happened to be a really evil Judas Cardinal. He's no longer a Cardinal. He's been laicized. But this was the moment for American Catholics, especially, but Catholics all over the world, to peer into the corridors of the Vatican when they read the statement of Archbishop Vigano and they got to hear conversations that Vigano reported and swore that they were true. They saw that the corruption goes all the way to the top. And it, it sort of ripped the Band-Aid off to this mystery that in 2013, Benedict XVI, in the midst of scandals and leaks and his butler leaking documents to journalists and him resigning and then Francis becoming Pope, it, it ripped the Band-Aid off so everybody said, now wait a second, this isn't just something in 2018, this is a system error. This is systemic. It's all over the church. And after 2018, Francis has been under a microscope by the lay people, and you might even say by local clergy. We little people. And we've seen Peter Pence, movie, uh, Peter Pence money used to fund movies about Elton John and swank apartment pads in London and unusual deals that have been done in the Vatican Bank by people appointed by Francis and then continued rumors and reports of sexual abuse all over the globe. That all began in 2018. 2019 was the scandal of the Pachamama. Amazon Synod, he brought in statues of Mother Earth, Pachamama. Pachamama means Mother Earth. And people said, well, maybe it's just the Virgin Mary. We could go with the Virgin Mary. And, and Francis says, no, it's not the Virgin Mary. It's Pachamama. It's Mother Earth. So we have statues, a.k.a. idols, of Mother Earth, Gaia in Greek. That was a big scandal. Those ended up in the Tiber River. They got fished out. But that was extremely embarrassing to Pope Francis. That was a, a low point. Why? Because the Pachamama... So you can write articles and you can write books and then you can make videos. 
But the Pachamama event was a meme. Y'all know what a meme is? Of course, you see them all day. Facebook, Instagram. A meme is a usually a one-shot cartoon or image with text. And that one image or graphic, or it could be a GIF, presents a thousand words, 10,000 words. A meme is something that goes viral and can communicate a concept or a principle without writing paragraphs, essays. You don't need to publish a book. You don't need to do a 20-minute report or expose. It's just a meme. And the Pachamama was a meme that was really embarrassing for Francis and the Vatican. It was supposed to be a meme of, hey, we're so hip and cool by being indigenous and, and making the church have an Amazonian face. But seeing them flipped into the Tiber River and then fished out and then they've constantly been discussed in our view, that's an embarrassment. It's a failure. Then 2020 happened. COVID. All masses were shut down and the lay people looked around and realized that their bishops believed the sacraments and the gospel were non-essential. Planned Parenthood was open. Casino, you go to some casinos in certain places, but you couldn't get into church. Church, even where governors said churches can reopen and Protestants reopen, Catholic bishops in some places says, no, we're going to stay closed. We're not going to have mass. And the betrayal in the heart of the lay people, the bishops will never understand. They still don't understand it. I don't think one bishop in the U.S., even the best of them, fully realize, because they had mass every day. They continue to say, they don't fully realize the chaos in the home where mom and dad or mom or dad are trying to explain to the kids why we don't go to mass anymore or why so-and-so isn't going to be baptized, or, well, your teenager saying, I want to go to confession and explaining how hard it is to go to confession or that you have to do something secret. The big deal. And what happened during this time period is priests started live streaming their masses and their sermons, something that had never been done in the history of Catholicism. I mean, it had been done, but it was never a thing. Suddenly, it was a thing. Priests like Father Altman, Father Heilman, others are live streaming their sermons and their masses. And for the first time, I, I think in Catholic history, people were able to side by side liturgies, masses, architecture, music in real time. You could literally pull up on your screen. I remember this in the beginning of the COVID shutdowns. You could pull up Sunday mass and there'd be like eight options on YouTube. There's Father Altman, who has a ton of views. Mm, that guy looks good. He's got a lot of views, a lot of likes, a lot of thumbs up. Then there's this like horrible looking Novus Ordo one with the, the lector lady who does this, right? And, and the felt banners and the horrible sermon and in the round church. And that one has 86 views. No one's watching that. Then over here, there's, there's uh, some uh, traditional Latin mass, Institute of Christ the King, FSSP. Whoa, they got a lot of views too. They click on that. Whoa, I haven't seen this mass since the 60s. What's going on here? I like this. What happened is over the year and over COVID, people live streaming were exposed to tradition. See, tradition and traditionalists were sort of this edgy, 
you know, you got to kind of know what door to knock on to find a Latin mass. In 2020, it became mainstream. You didn't have to drive to a bad part of town, find the traditional church, walk in and feel like if you're a woman, do I, I don't have a veil on. Are people judging me? I don't know when to kneel. I don't know when to stand. Do I try to say the Latin, or do I just shut up and say, no, I don't know. All that nervousness and tension and question, all that that would keep someone from being exposed to a traditional Latin mass in 2020 was gone. They could sit on their couch at home on Sunday and watch it. And they loved it. And they learned about it. And they watch YouTube videos like on my channel, how to use a Latin missile, how to say the responses. What are the three different kind of traditional Latin masses, etc.? And they got educated. And then in 2021, Francis gave us Traditionis Custodis. He dropped the bomb. Now that I've told you the timeline from 1965 to 2021, I think you can figure out the answer to the question. Why did Pope Francis restrict the Latin mass? And the answer is written right here. Quote, 56 years and Vatican II as a council has not been accepted. It's still very unpopular. So if you think of this as an epic of 100 years, we are on year 56. And they're losing. The demographics are down for baptisms, marriages, ordinations, nuns, confirmations. Just pick anyone. Just throw a dart at any Catholic metric and they're all down. In the excitement and the growth and the controversy is swinging to the position of Archbishop Lefebvre in 1970, which is the old Latin mass cannot be abolished. And all the bishops shook their fists and shook their croziers and says, yes, it is. Stop saying it. He said, no. And then in 2007, Benedict says, it's not been abolished, guys. And so what happened last week was as close as you can get to abolishing the Latin Mass. Francis didn't abolish the Latin Mass. I personally believe that the Holy Spirit has prevented any pope or bishop since 1970 to say Latin Mass is abolished because it's never happened. It's never been abolished. But what they're going to do now is restrict it. A bunch of hoops with fire on them that priests are going to jump through and communities, lay people are going to have to jump through. And in a way, it's a reset to 1970. I know that's discouraging and it's sad to hear. It's a reset to 50 years ago. But look how much bigger it is. In 1970, just think of America. How many traditional Latin masses were in every city? Zero. Barely any. New Orleans had one that went all the way through the 70s, but any other diocese, there weren't in Latin masses that continued. Very rare. Now, just about every major city and just about every, of the, every one of the 50 states has a Latin mass in it. People are writing books about it. Missiles are being reprinted. They're being sold out 
Try to buy a Father Lassance missile right now. You can't. They're sold out. Use one of mine right here. Everybody wants them. It's growing. It's the win. And Francis is punishing those people. Not bloggers, not YouTubers. He's punishing this group of people because we are 56 years into this 100-year epic and they are losing. And we all feel, we all felt last year, if you've been a I've been going to traditional Latin mass for 11 years. I, all of us felt it last year. We felt it tip. Mm. Where a mass that usually, a, a church that has the Latin mass that usually has 200 on a Sunday is getting 800 on a Sunday, a thousand on a Sunday. My parish hit 2000 on a Sunday. I can remember going there when we met in the cafeteria and there were maybe 150, probably 100 people going to the Latin Mass. Now, 2,000 in an 11-year span. Just do the math and go exponential and then add in birth rates and procreation of babies and just map that out over the next 50 years. And there's your answer. So this restriction is meant to restrict that growth. Because, as I said, there are three groups fighting for the shape of Catholicism in the next 50 years. Your modernist progressives, your conservatives, and your traditionalists. Francis, what he's doing is, is he's taking that big chunk of conservatives who previously were like, JP2, JP2, um, or word on fire, word on fire, and what Francis is doing is he's pushing everyone to be James Martin, modernist, or Lefebvre traditional. That's really what 20, 2018, 2019, 2020, and now into 2021, when everyone's hearing about this restriction. What he's doing is, is he's now pushing on that middle, and it's pushing people out on the sides. Progressive modernist, traditionalist. We're going to win. We're going to win. I got no doubt about it. Look who has the ordination numbers. Look who has the marriage numbers. And then most importantly, look who has the birth rate numbers. We do. I got eight kids. How many kids y'all got? Look at the numbers. Map that out. 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. Then map it out 100 years. It's a no-brainer. This restriction is bad. It's a reset. I'm not happy about it, but it's a blip. And the way God works is, you know, Pharaoh chases Moses and the people out to the Red Sea. They get to the Red Sea. Oh, no, Pharaoh's going to kill us. There's a sea right here. We're all going to die. Moses raises the staff. The sea parts. The Israelites go through with Moses. The Pharaoh and the Egyptians come after him and the water comes down. They're gone. They're drowned. So this is just really kind of a pushing us up to the Red Sea. It's going to open. We're going to make it, right? Our ultimate persecution is from the Antichrist. I, Pope Francis is not the Antichrist. I know there's some, maybe somebody on the live chat saying he's not. The Antichrist pushes and produces the end of all religion on earth and creates a religion worshiping himself. 
this is not it. This is not it. So this is a blip. All right, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. This is why I've been saying, I really think, unless our Lord Jesus Christ does come back sooner rather than later, I really think that we aren't going to see the reform of the Roman Rite and restoration until about 2050, maybe 2060. So I, I may or may not, but I probably won't get to see it. My kids will. I do think the next Pope will probably be worse, etc. We can do other videos about that another time. So that's the timeline. That's the bird eye view. And I think once you see that, you realize where we're going and why this attack hit us. Why we got flanked. It's okay. We're going to win. Let's not worry about it. So if you like this video, give it a thumbs up. And the most important thing you can do is share this video. Take a moment, pause, take three seconds and share this video on Facebook or Twitter, preferably Facebook. And then if you're new, please hit the subscribe button and hit the bell. And when you hit the bell, that means in the future, YouTube is required to tell you Taylor Marshall is about to make a video or just made a video. I don't know. exactly. I think it says about to make a video or just went live and you can join us live and talk about these things. So like, subscribe, share, and we will now pray the Hail Mary. We're going to pray it for Pope Francis. Oremus. Nomini Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tu Iesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or Prenobis, peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Nomini Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Make sure you're praying that rosary every single day. If you don't pray the rosary, you're not on the team. Rattle the beads. Pray the rosary. Read the Bible every single day. Renew your mind with the Word of God. Find a traditional Latin Mass. Don't be nervous. And if you are at a traditional Latin Mass, my challenge for you is invite five new people this Sunday. Call them up or text them. Hey, you want to come to Latin Mass with me? Please do. It's going to be awesome. Come, come. Bring five people. And then if you're at the, when you're at the traditional Latin Mass, I want you to look around and find one person who's new or confused. And I want you to go to that person and make them feel welcome and help that person. That's how we're going to win. That's how we're going to survive. All right? Very good. And until the next video, remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless and Godspeed.